All right, good evening, good evening, and welcome once again to discipleship class, class number 31 of 36. It's hard to believe that um, we have uh, made it this far and we're already getting this close to the end, but um, we are excited about it, and I'm trying to see if I can get that camera to swap over. There we go. All right, praise God. We've got a good group in the room. Thank you for those of you who are joining us online, live, and uh, in, uh, through the recording. I know some of you uh, different time zones away, so catch us, as they say, on the flip side. So, But we got some good uh, subject matter tonight. We're going to be talking about a little bit about emotion stuff we didn't quite finish up from last week and then get into, I think, probably one of the most significant parts of this section, and that's the power of words. And um, I tell you what, before I go any further with that, let's pray, and then we'll uh, get right into it. Father, thank you for another day of life. Thank you for your hand upon us. Um, Lord, as, as we were waiting for the countdown, just talking about your goodness and protection, Lord, some 11 years ago in this part of the world, all those tornadoes came through, and, and um, Lord, how your hand was upon our family of faith and my personal family, Lord. We just uh, thank you for uh, your plans for our lives and helping us understand, Father, how you created us uh, to live and to function, Lord, so that we can take advantage of these things um, for our benefit and for yours. And Lord, I thank you that uh, your wisdom is working in our lives. And we ask you humbly tonight, sir, to increase our understanding and wisdom, Lord, so that we might best uh, honor you and serve you and please you and live the life that you have for us. Lord, thank you for the men and women and their commitment, Lord, to these classes, whether this is their first one or their 31st one. We just believe, Father, that you're working in our lives through your Holy Spirit and through your Holy Word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So just to kind of quickly kind of sum up what we've been talking about, we said that we're beings created in the image and likeness of God. And because of that, we have certain abilities and characteristics um, that really don't exist anywhere else in creation, at least not to the extent and on the level that they exist in, in our lives. And we've talked about like simple things that that um, I think when we first started this section, we said sometimes they're hiding in plain sight. And there's things that we don't really think of as being that powerful, but uh, your ability to think, for example, is, is the first one we looked at. And the Bible says, as you think, so are you. And of course, we talked a lot about the power of our thoughts. And then we talked about um, you know, different things like agreement and um, our ability to believe and, and worked our way through. And then, then we've, uh, the last week or so, we've been on uh, the subject of emotions, and, and we have the ability to experience and express emotions because God, the God who created us, um, has the ability to experience and create, I'm sorry, <laughs> the ability to experience and express emotions, and we were created in His image and likeness. Image and likeness, again, means more than to look like He looks. It means we were created to look the way God looks and to function the way He functions. So we are emotional beings because the being who created us is also an emotional being. And so the, the full spectrum of our emotions, right, we see in Scripture, and we took the time last week to, to, to look at those, that you know God has those same emotions. Uh, for instance, God gets angry. God has joy, God has peace, so forth and so on. But the, the real force, if you will, in understanding all of these things is how they build upon one another. We said that these characteristics or attributes, big words like mayonnaise now, they're both dynamic and interactive. Um, dynamic meaning an underlying uh, agent of change. Interactive means that they work together and even compound upon 
um, one another exponentially. So you see how thoughts would lead to agreements, things you think about, things you agree with would lead to things that you believe, things that, that you think and agree and believe um, obviously are you know, parts of and, and even produce emotions, uh, which then leads us to what we're really going to get into here in just a minute is our ability to speak. And um, words that come out of our mouths are releasing things that are on the inside of us and certainly not calling him out. I think part of it was tongue-in-cheek, but we had a brother who's uh, looking for a Bible. Obviously, his Bible is very personal and important to him and can't find it. And so he came in experiencing some frustration, and you could not only see it in his face, but you could hear it coming out of his mouth. And so, you know, it's, it's not just words. Remember last week we looked at the verse where, the Bible says that God is not limiting us or holding us back. And Paul said, I'm not limiting you or holding you back, but that you are limited by what? By your own affections. And we said affections were, you know, we think of affections like, you know, showing affection, that sort of thing. But, but in this case, where the Bible is saying affections is he's talking about um, the, uh, in, in, you know, desires that we have with emotions connected to it. Um, and so, you know, our affections, what we desire, what we, you know, are passionate about, we can say it that way, um, is either working for us or working against us. Now, there's this one part that we, we talked about even before we got to emotions, and we spent, I don't know, 30 minutes or more of one class on it. I'm not going to try to go back and redo that because we're, we're getting kind of pinched for time and the number of classes we have left. But we made the case then, and, and if you're watching on, online and you're like, man, he, where did he come up with that? We took the time to strategically make the case for it, but here, here is what we need to understand about these things, okay? Our thoughts produce our emotions. Our emotions influence our choices. Our lives are choice-driven. In, in other words, you know, choices that we make and the consequences, good or bad, from those choices um, are how our lives are unfolding on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. And so we've all made choices influenced by emotions that we more than likely regretted <laughs> either immediately or somewhere on down the road. So the power of emotions is the influence they have over our choices or, as we're going to talk about tonight, over the things that we say, okay? And so when we talk about our thoughts, you know, the devil, remember what we said last week, the devil wants you to believe you're just a victim of your emotions, the devil wants you to think that you're just at the mercy of your emotions, that you don't have any control over your emotions whatsoever. That is not what your Creator Father explains to us in His Word. Now, um, if, if, if we are, first of all, if we've never had it explained to us how we can manage our emotions, then obviously we need to know that, we need to understand that. But the other, the other side of, of, of that whole discussion is, you know, our ability to, um, to manage our thoughts because your thoughts produce your emotions, um, you can never manage your emotions if you don't understand how to manage your thoughts. So let me give you, uh, and I just kind of maybe rushed through that too quickly, but I think it'll be more clear as we work our way through some of these verses. So here is a really, really good one that, that you need to be familiar with if you're not already. It's Isaiah chapter 26 and verse number 3. It says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. The, the why in the, in, the, in the word you is capitalized. It's, it's talking about keeping our mind stayed. Uh, I think the King James Version says fixed. You ever got fixated on something? You know what I'm saying? So um, whose mind is fixed or stayed on you because he trusts in you. 
So perfect peace. I don't know about you, but that's a good place to live, right? To live in perfect peace emotionally. Um, this, is, this is perhaps one of the, you know, the most sound emotional pictures that, that we see in the Scriptures. But notice the result of this is, uh, and I'm sorry, the cause of this result, perfect peace in your life comes from keeping your mind stayed or fixed on the Lord, right? Now, let's do this. Um, uh, Proverbs 12 and 25, I mentioned this uh, passage before uh, we started a class uh, just in the preliminaries this evening. But Proverbs 12, 25 says, Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Um, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Think about what he's saying right there. Now, let, let me time out for just a second because I know, I know some folks are like, hold, hold on, Pastor Mark, where, you know, where are you coming up with all this other stuff? Well, re remember now, and, and I know um, some of you in the room have been a part of some of the classes we've been teaching in the mornings. And, and in the morning classes, we've been talking about having a place for our thoughts to be anchored. There's a better life begins with better thinking, right? But in order to have better thinking, we've got to find a better source for our thoughts. And so if you're new to these classes, you know, just joining us online or what have you, then you, know, you need to understand something about, about me and about the foundation of this class. And it's the Word of God. We believe that our Creator Father has you know, put these things in His Word for us to discover and understand and, and, and learn uh, for ourselves. And so um, if the Bible says anxiety in the heart is what causes depression, okay, then, then I'm, I'm going with that over some other theories that, that may be somewhat a suspect as far as uh, their, their truth and veracity and, and trustworthiness, all right? So anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. This is why Satan is always trying to manipulate your thoughts in ways to get you stressed and to get you anxious because he knows that if he keeps you stressed and anxious, it'll only be a matter of time before he gets you in a state of depression. And we talk about depression, we, you know, um, it, it's, it's become so prevalent in our world today that it's often referred to as the common cold of mental health. And, and it's sad to me that a lot of people think that depression is just something they have to deal with, that it's their lot in life and that there's nothing they can do about it. But um, obviously, if, if we go with what the Bible says, anchoring our thoughts in what the Scriptures say, then there is absolutely uh, positively something that we can do about it. And we do not have to be stressed. We do not have to be anxious. And we certainly do not have to live in depression, which is a result of the stress and anxiety. Now, I'm going to connect some dots that we haven't connected in previous classes. And so we're going to go to um, Matthew 6, 31. I want to show it to you from the New King James Version, and then I'll also show it to you from the King James Version because we see both translations have uh, value here um, as far as our understanding is concerned. In Matthew 6 and 31, he says, Therefore, do not worry, saying, and, and by the way, worry is, is talking about an anxious thought, okay? So he says, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? All right? So he's saying, Take no anxious thought would be the literal translation. But notice how the, the King James Version translates this same verse. Therefore, take no thought, saying. Take no thought, saying. Okay? So take no thought saying we're, we're kind of bridging from our thoughts and our agreements and our beliefs and our emotions over into and how all these things connect with the words that we speak. And so he says, take no thought saying, right? 
we take thoughts. The, the enemy of your soul wants to try and put thoughts in your mind. Okay, if you hadn't figured that out by now, um, he, he's a punk like that. He wants to try to put thoughts in your mind. The Bible says he's the father of lies, not just a liar. Jesus could have called him a liar and he would have been telling the truth because the devil is a liar. But he's more than a liar. He's trying to father lies. When Jesus called him the father of lies, he was at, at least two key things teaching us and revealing at least two key things to us. First of all, as the father of lies, lying originated for, with him. God is not a liar. Let every man be a liar, but let God be true. God is truth. God tells the truth, okay? There's no darkness. There's no lying in him. So lying originated with Lucifer, okay? But when, also when it says he's the father of lies, there's, there's an imagery here um, that we need to understand in that he's trying to impregnate your mind with his lies. He's trying to take the seed of his lies and put them in your mind. And he knows just like a woman conceiving and, and becoming pregnant, the longer the male seed stays around the vicinity of her egg, the higher the probability of conception. And so the devil knows that if he can get you to think a thought long enough, it'll eventually drop down into your heart and you will conceive of it. That thought will we'll, we'll, we'll take root, so to speak, uh, and begin to grow uh, inside of you. Yes? So, uh, that, I mean, that, that was one example, the, the Bible thing. Um, so, like, a lot of times I think anxiety comes when, like, you don't, like, if you think you don't have something, like, you know, we talked about those feelings, like, you feel like you're going to die, but you're mm -hmm. not going to die. Right. right. So we're going to get to that in just a moment, but while, since we're here for just a second, so take no thought by saying. So one of the mistakes that people make who begin to understand this truth is that they try to overcome a negative thought in their mind with an opposite or positive thought in their mind. Okay, in other words, we try to fight it thought for thought. It's like, no, no, I'm not going to think about that. I'm going to think about this. Okay, the the real power is in taking a thought by saying. All right. So if the devil floats the thought into your mind like he does, if he has not floated this thought into your mind, you are a rare, rare exception. Okay. And I was going to just say he tries to tell us we're losers or that we're not enough, that we're not good enough, that we're not like everybody, blah, 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 all these thoughts, right? So the devil tries to float that thought into your mind. Let's just use that as an example, okay? So the tendency then is to, in your mind, think another thought. I'm not a loser. I'm, you know, that's not how you do it. You reject that thought and take the correct thought by saying. So you need to say out of your mouth, right? You need to confess out of your mouth, right? I, I am a, I'm a child of God. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. So we'll get to that here in just a moment. But that's, that's the effective way um, to, uh, to, to take a thought captive. And that's, that's the literal language that we'll look at here in, uh, in just a moment. So for now, though, what I'm wanting you to see is how there are certain things that we can think about that will create certain emotions in our lives. We could think about, you know, somebody wronging us. And if we think about that long enough, we, we can stir up anger, the emotion of anger, right? Again, emotions are thought-driven. Uh, anxious thoughts, um, we're, we can't find something. We're missing something. We're missing out on something. There's, there's all kinds of ways. How are we going to pay this bill? All these other things, right? Watch this, okay? 
Here's, a, here's a, an abbreviated version of a longer story that I told you to try to illustrate this uh, a few weeks back, okay? Um, let's, let's say you owe, um, uh, you, you have a $350 water bill because you didn't know, um, you know, one of your children left a faucet running outside. I'm just throwing that out, right? Okay. All right. Um, and it's happened before. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's not that uh, uncommon of a thing. Right. But now watch this. That bill and the money that you owed, you've owed it for weeks, but you weren't anxious about it because you had no thought of it. You didn't start getting anxious or angry or aggravated. All the emotions that would come from a $350 water. What? They're crazy. They read it wrong. Call in there. It's like, um, no. Matter of fact, we're looking at your meter online right now. It's running right now. There's my, you know. So, but it's all those emotions that you're experiencing, you do not experience them until you have the thought, until the realization of the situation comes. Are you, you say, that's way too simple, Pastor Mark. No, no, it's not. Right? In other words, so you can't find your Bible. Well, you didn't get anxious about that or potentially get anxious about that until you realized your Bible was missing. You see what I'm saying? When the thought came, that's when the emotion or the emotional response, uh, you know, surfaced, so to speak, um, in our lives. Yes, no, maybe. All right, so let, let, me, let, me, let, me give you, let me give you another one here. And this is Jesus speaking now. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Let not your heart be troubled. He's literally saying to you and me, do not allow your heart to be troubled. That's what this, this let not means. It means do not allow. Do not allow your heart to be troubled. It is, but before we even go there, okay, before we even go there, would Jesus tell you and me to not allow something if we were incapable of refusing it? In other words, if Jesus, if Jesus walks up to me and he says, Mark, don't let your heart be troubled, he would never tell me that if I did not have the ability to prevent my heart from being troubled. Because Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled, that's telling me that we have the ability, with his help, of course, to prevent our hearts from being troubled. There are all kinds of things in this world that if we think about them and, and meditate and, and focus on those things, it's going to trouble our hearts. It's going to cause stress and anxiety and fear and worry. I was talking with somebody today that, that's overcoming worry uh, in their life. And, and I made this simple statement, and it's so true. Worry is simply thinking about the wrong things. When, we wor when we're worried, we are setting our minds, setting our thoughts on things that are causing our heart to be troubled. So he's saying, do not let your heart be troubled, but you believe in God, believe also in me. So, bottom line, dominant negative emotions are the result of wrong and negative thinking. Dominant negative emotions are the result, emotions are the result of wrong and negative thinking. If you refuse to manage your thinking, you will never manage your emotions. Say you won't, this is important now, but don't say you can't. Do you understand the difference between won't and can't? <laughs> will not versus cannot? It would be one thing if you could not do it. But because Jesus says that we can do it, right? 
It becomes a matter then of learning how to do it and taking our place as rightful authority in our own lives, amen, uh, in, in this situation. So if you refuse to manage your thinking, you'll never manage your emotions because emotions are produced by our thoughts and our thinking, okay? And so say you won't do it, but don't say you can't do it because you can. Yes, sir. Amen. Yes, sir. Uh, what was the first one? Dominant. I'm sorry. Dominant negative emotions. Because that, that's the deal, right? You, you do realize that we were never meant to be ruled by our emotions. We talked about this some last week. There, there are people who literally wait to see how they feel in the morning before they decide what they're going to do for the day. And they let their emotions or their feelings dictate their choices and their actions. It's been proven. Listen, you know, some people may hear this and, and, you know, say, oh, he's just a Bible thumper or whatever. You know, it's been proven. The Bible obviously states it improves it. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. But it's, it's been proven that one of the best things that you can do for depression is to go do something for somebody else. Go get busy helping somebody else. Notice, what are you doing when you're helping somebody else? You're getting your mind off yourself, off of your problems, on, on someone else and, 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 and helping uh, them overcome some issue or some problem in their lives. Okay, so um, if you you can trace it back to um, when Adam and Eve uh, broke relationship with God, and the first emotion that he experienced was fear. Right now he's hiding, he's running, and he's hiding. Okay, God never meant uh, for us to be dominated by fear, or for that matter, any of our negative emotions. So dominant negative emotions are, are rooted in uh, mankind severing their connection with God and receiving information from a source other than God. Why are you hiding from me, Adam? Why are you afraid? I, I'm hiding because I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? Right? So for the first time in human history, a man or a woman has a thought in their minds that did not originate from their Creator Father, and notice what that, that, those thoughts and that line of thinking is producing in their lives. It's producing dominant negative emotions. Okay? Now, this is a really important passage right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Notice there's a comma there. Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Okay? So he's saying that we are, first of all, in a battle. We, we are in the midst of warfare. And he's also saying that while we're in a battle, we have been given weaponry, but the weapons to fight this battle and win it and overcome are not carnal. Carnal means they're not physical, okay? So 
it's, it's not like a pistol or a machine gun or a sword, uh, you know, something you'd pull out. That's not what he's talking about here. But he is saying that we do have weapons in this fight, okay? And so notice now he's saying that we have to do what? We have to cast down arguments, arguments. I'll explain some of this in just a moment. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Right? So when he's talking about every high thing, and, and the King James Version even uses the word imaginations, here we have arguments that try to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. If something is trying to exalt itself against you, it's trying to gain a position of dominance over you. Right? So let's, let's use this as, as an example. Um, God says uh, to you, by his stripes you were healed, right? That's what God says. Now, if, if your ankle is hurting you or if your hip is bothering you, you have some physical symptom, notice now the word of God says that you were healed, and if you were healed, you are healed. But now we have thoughts that are being produced by symptoms that are trying to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. In other words, you've got thoughts now that are trying to, to rise above and have a higher place of, of um, importance and trust uh, in, in your heart and in your mind. This is a thought that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God. What is a thought that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God? It would be any thought that you have th th from the enemy, or, or, or you know, obviously he's the source of, of, of these types of thoughts, right? But any thought in your, that you allow in your heart or mind that would have a higher place as far as what you think and what you believe than what God has said about you and your situation. So he's saying that we, we can't, Bill Johnson said it this way, he said, I cannot afford to have a thought in my mind that did not come from God. So when we, when we have thoughts that exalt themselves, that basically it's a thought that says what, what, the word, what the Bible says is wrong, what God is saying about the situation. Righteousness would be another classic example. The Bible is very clear. As a born-again man or woman, you've been made right before God in the eyes of God. You've been given that position as a gift. And so the enemy tries to use, you know, you're not righteous. Who do you think you are? You're not like them other people down at the church, blah, blah, blah. He's feeding these thoughts to you. And if we allow those thoughts to, to, to exalt themselves, to have a, a higher position of influence, that's the word I've been looking for right there. Thank you, Holy Spirit. A higher position of influence over our life reality than what God's Word says, then obviously, it's, notice what he's saying here. This, this is where the real battle is, is either won or lost. It's, it's in our minds, it's in our thinking. Do you realize that? Because, again, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So it, that's, why the, that's why Satan wants to put uh, doubt in your mind and, and, and in an effort to undermine and weaken, if not neutralize, your faith. Okay. So this is a real simple question, but it's also very, very important, all right? Who chooses your thoughts? Who chooses your thoughts? Yes. Who had a question? I'm sorry. I was just going to ask earlier when you were talking about who got asked them, who told you you were naked? Yes. Was that just the devil's thought pattern and 
instruction to them starting then, right then, on them and us from there on out? I mean, if they didn't know they were, and nobody told them, but they knew, like I say, was that just the devil's thinking and his things that he's throwing on us, starting in on them then? So, where they made the error was in listening to him in the first place. Yeah. Okay. And once they allowed his thoughts and started giving consideration to his thoughts, oh no, you're not going to die. Look at that. It's going God's just trying to withhold something good from you. You know, th this isn't what he makes it out to be, blah blah blah. You know. That's what I'm saying. They just started he started making them doubt themselves then. Right. Okay. So, well, when they actually committed the act, all right? That was when they were separated from God. Sin separates. So that's when they became separated from God. Now they're unanchored. They don't know what to think, right? And, and it's the consequences of their actions that are producing the thoughts now. You, you see, there was, we talk in here from time to time. The most recently we talked about God's not given us a spirit of bondage again to fear. You remember we talked about this, how the fear of death is what predisposes a man or a woman to addiction or to some form of enslavement to their flesh or to their emotions or, or what have you, right? But now that we're born again, God's broken that cycle. But remember now, it's, it's the fear that predisposes us to, um, to being enslaved. But then once we're enslaved... It produces more fear, which produces greater enslavement, which produces greater fear, and it just creates this self-sustaining cycle. It's a vicious self-sustaining cycle. All right. So they sinned, felt miserable about it. Let's just say it that way, simplify it. They sinned, they felt miserable about it, right? Now, because they're feeling miserable, I'm sure nobody in this room's ever sinned, but you probably know somebody who has, okay? And when they sinned, they felt miserable. When you sin, you don't you, your flesh tells you run from God, not run to God. Go hide. Right? But see, the only way you can ever get it right is to, is to run to him, not from him. But the, the shame and the guilt, the, the whole emotional fallout from that experience, if you listen to the devil, it'll separate you further from God, which is going to predispose you to more sinfulness, which is going to separate you even further and further and further. So it just becomes this, this downward spiral. Is that like resistance that you It's absolutely resistance, yes. Because now it's, it's, you know, it's like the, the devil will tell you the further away you get, the harder it is to come back because he's lying. All you got to do is turn around and say, God, help me, and you'll run into him because he's been right there the whole time. But that's, you know, the lies that the devil will try to tell us, all right? Let's, let's um, Colossians 3.2 is another very important passage along these lines. Um, man, we could, I almost feel like, and I just have to keep reminding you, and I know some of you weren't here for that class, they're all archived. I mean, it's free, no, no charge to go back and, and, and look at these things. Um, but it's when we talked about thoughts, it's the class that, that um, I think it was four weeks ago maybe, so that would make it, what, class 27, 26 or 27, where we really went into great, greater detail. And I said then, we're talking about this now, we usually talk about it when we talk about um, our emotions. And I feel like I'm shortchanging you on not really going into the, all the depth that we normally go in when we talk about this. Um, so there's just a lot to it, okay? I mean, it's just, it's just that simple. But he, here is one. It's instructions to us. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. 
Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So who chooses your thoughts? That's me and you. We choose what we think about. Okay, We have control over that. All right? And so this is why he can say to you and me, set your mind on things above. You can either set your mind on the things of the Spirit, set your mind, you know, like that's a deliberate intentional act, or you, you can set your mind on, on other things. But whatever you set your mind on is, is going to produce emotions in your life. This is why we, hold that thought, this is why we said last week, remember Jesus said, I've said these things to you so that you can have my peace in you and overflowing out of you. I've said these things to you so that you can have my joy and your joy can be full to overflowing. Thoughts produce joy. If you have God's thoughts in your mind, it will produce God's emotions in your life, right? And his words are his thoughts. Yes, sir. We talked this morning about, you know, I'm not a big concept guy. You know, I like practicalness, you know. Um, so, like, this is, let's just use the Bible thing. So, like, if, if, if things above are things eternal and things of the earth are things temporal, right? Okay. So, I, I imagine that to look at the Bible... You know, it's, it's temporary. I'll probably just buy a new one anyways, honestly, when I get out of here. Right? So, okay. Um, so how would I look at that Bible? You know, the issue of the Bible but from an eternal perspective. Um, that it's your Bible, and it's not going to be stolen from you, and that it will be returned to you. Yeah. And, and exercise your faith. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes the devil tries, and I'm not saying this is the case with you, but sometimes the devil tries to deceive us into thinking that faith is only like for big things, like a cancer diagnosis or this or that or whatever. No, no. We live by faith. Everything, remember I've said this over and over again, anything in your life you want to succeed at, learn how to do that by faith, okay? And so when we talk about something that, that has been lost or even something that has been taken or stolen from us. And I could tell you story after story after story of just miraculous things that God has restored into my life, brought back to me, okay, that, that had been lost or even in case in, when I was in high school, uh, some things that were stolen from me. And, and um, uh, multiple things stolen from my locker, okay. And I made a bold statement to, to my friends and to other people because part of it was, and I'm not trying to make you feel sorry for me, all right, but a part of it was persecution, okay, because of my stand for the Lord, and and I was being picked on for that, and um, like one of the things that I that was stolen from me was a jacket, and that jacket had a, a plastic window in it, and I would put different things in that window for people to read you know, that would spark conversations. So I could talk to them about the Lord, right, and um. Adam, I made the statement right there, you know, everybody was mad. Some of my buddies would go, because they kind of had an idea who did it, you know. And I just made the confession right there. What are you going to say about these things? I made the confession right there. Every bit of it will be brought back to me. You got, y'all watch and see. Everything that's been taken from me today will be brought back to me, okay. And, and everything was except for a watch, okay. And, and I'm like, Watch is coming, watch is coming, watch is coming, right? All right. So it was awards night, uh, my senior year in high school, 1985. It was awards night, and the only award that was given that night that was not a certificate or a trophy or a medal around the neck, okay, it was a watch, 
and guess who it was given to in front of the whole student body. And a lot of them folks knew that I had boldly confessed that this stuff was stolen from me and it will be returned to me and the Lord will bring every bit of it back to me. Now that was not the watch that was stolen from me, but it was one much nicer than the one. So, that, so that's what I'm saying, brother. It, you know, there, there is a, um, and I mean it in, in, in every uh, right way. We hear the word stubborn like we hear the word provoke and we think that those are only negative words. You know the Bible says that we should provoke one another to good works. Right? You can provoke somebody to want to punch you in the mouth, but you can also provoke somebody to, to want to go uh, and do something nice for somebody, right? And, and stubborn, when it comes to um, faith and things of this nature, you just, you just have to be stubborn, okay? Yeah. I know I, I, I'm, I'm feeling real impressed right now because I just need to release my faith on it again, all right? Um, my, my son-in-law lost his wedding band in the surf three years ago when we were on vacation, and that ring's coming back, man. I'm just telling you. That ring, you know, and, and I know this sounds crazy, but I have precedent on this because another friend of mine lost his wedding band in the surf. And I waited in that surf and prayed in the Holy Ghost until I found his wedding band under the sand, okay? And so, but it, you, it, it's, it's, now again, you, you can just say, all right, it's gone and whatever, and I'll get another one, and it wasn't that big a deal. And, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong for that, all right? But you're asking me how to respond. And how to respond is, devil, you ain't, you're not taking, you're not taking anything from me. It's mine, and 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 the day you get it back, go give it to somebody and tell them the story about it. You see what I'm saying? But there 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 is a stubbornness, there is a um face set like a flint. Right? I'm not backing down on this. I'm standing my ground. I've done everything I know to do to stand. I'm going to keep standing. I've called it in, and it's coming to me. It, amen. Yes. Doesn't this also like result back to, um, you know, it's so easy to thank God when things are going great, but then when things, things go wrong and you feel in this surge of emotions, you know, um, a lot of people, especially, you know, I have to catch myself. I go to, uh, um, to, very bad state, but you know, if you start thanking God for feeling the emotions that you have, and you know, thanking Him for going through these troubles, isn't that another way to combat letting Satan put a threshold or plant a seed within you? Yeah. So I agree with everything you said. I just, I would just kind of maybe tweak it just a little bit. It's, the Bible doesn't say for everything. It says in everything, give thanks. Right. So e even if the enemy is is working really hard against you, we recognize that he is he is defeated. And that he can't win. And even if it looks like I'm losing, I'm not. I'm winning. And, and um, so, yeah, absolutely, stand your ground. And, and the Bible says weapons will be formed against you, but that no weapon formed against me will prosper. Amen. And but what, See, but this is the trap. This is, the, this is the, the scandalon is the Greek word. The scandalon, if you've ever uh, seen like different forms of traps, the, 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 the scandalon is the part of the trap that actually sets the trap, okay? Um, and so this is what the devil does. He tries to work things in our lives. But he's setting a trap for us because he's ultimately trying to get us to act and think and speak and do in ways that are going to produce negative consequences in our lives. Again, we're not there yet, but we'll get to the verse here in just a, in a moment. 
in Romans 8 where he says, he asks us this question, what will you say to these things? I love the fact that he just says these things because these things could be any of these things, right? In other words, it, it could be anything. And for that matter, we should be thinking that way um, in everything in our lives. What are we going to say if it's something that we need to say thank you for, we need to say thank you for. If it's something that the enemy's trying to work against us, how, how are we going to respond to that, right? Because um, we can either respond in faith and faith be the victory in that situation, or we can res respond in doubt and fear and unbelief. And, of course, we know where that's going to lead, all right? Let me, before we get to that, and I appreciate y'all pulling me that direction. Maybe I should have just skipped over all this, but I feel we I at least want you, at least if I don't have time to, to or I'm not going to take the time to spend 45 minutes on it, I at least want you to know about these verses if you don't already, and, and then you kind of um, go from the concept to working it out in your own life reality on a practical level, okay? So Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Let's go there, please. Philippians 4 and 6. And, and I know sometimes we go fast and you just write the verse down. You, you might want to go ahead and open, uh, open up to this one or at least make, become very aware of this. One. Put a, if you just wrote the verse down, put a big star by it or something like that, okay? We're actually going 4, 6, 7, and 8, okay? So notice what he says here to you and me. He says, be anxious for some things. Is that what it says? No. This is be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, okay? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, all right? So are we going to freak out? Are we going to worry? Are we going to fret? Are we going to chew our fingernails? Are we going to pace the floor? Are we going to lay awake all night staring at the ceiling, right? No, he says be anxious for nothing. So what should we do instead of being anxious? He says everything, not, not some things. So notice you've got no, no thing, nothing in the first phrase, and then you've got everything in the second phrase. So he's making sure that you cover all your bases. I didn't point it out, but in, in 2 Corinthians 10, he didn't say in some thoughts or most thoughts. He said every thought, every thought captive. Because if we let our minds and imaginations run wild, the devil will fill your mind and imaginations with thoughts that will ultimately bring you captive. You're either going to take them captive or they're going to take you captive, right? So it's, and, you, and we think, well, how in the world could we, could we, every thought, are you serious? Every thought, let me give you a, a real important clue right here. The ones you need to start with, obviously every thought, but let me tell you the ones you need to start with. You need to start with the thoughts that you have about yourself, Okay, because that's the devil's number one target. He wants you to think wrongly and poorly and incorrectly about yourself. All right. And so when it comes to who you are in Christ, and we'll get to that in the days ahead in greater detail. But this right here is is one of the key areas. Um, thank you, Holy Spirit. So I'm going I'm to mention this now. Okay. The two main areas is the devil wants you to think wrong thoughts about God and he wants you to think wrong thoughts about yourself. And you can argue with me and disagree with me, but I don't think you'll ever talk me out of this because I flip-flopped over the years, but I've been settled now for about 10 years, all right? That believe it or not, the devil is more interested in wrong thoughts in your mind about yourself than he is 
about wrong thoughts in your mind about God. And let me tell you why that is. You can know exactly in your heart and mind and believe in your heart and mind that God is a good God. He only wants good for you. He would rather die for you than live without you, right? But if you still think of yourself as a sorry, low-down, good-for-nothing, worthless loser, right, then how is it going to benefit you from knowing that God is good. And because what you'll do then is everything you believe about God that's right and true, you will deflect it over to somebody else. That he's a good God, but he's only good to them. You, you follow what I'm saying? All right. So that, that is that last line of resistance, so to speak, um, for the devil. In order, it, I call these things battleground truths. These are truths that the devil will fight tooth and toenail to try to keep you deceived about. But even if it's, if it's either you being wrong about who God is or you being wrong about who you are, he's going to go with you being wrong about who you are. Because, again, that's going to separate you from so much of the good things that Father God wants to do in your life. All right? So, yes, come on with it. Come on, brother. Think by faith. And it sounds simple, but it's just dynamic in its results. Yes, sir. If your thoughts are the underlying source for everything else that follows after that, I mean, there's some things you've got to grab hold of in your mind in order to be able to lay them out in your life. And you're going to have to believe God for some of that, yeah. despite how your ankle feels. And, and it's the imagination, right? Um, I know some of you weren't here uh, on last, um, last Wednesday night, but we were talking about being able to look into the glory of God and not just see a reflection of Jesus, but see a reflection of yourself, your true self in that reflection. And I used a series of photos of my grandson, the first one with him sitting on my lap reading about Buzz Lightyear, the second one was in, in an outfit with Buzz and Woody and those in his boots, right? The third one, though, was a Bethany had, my daughter had this image of him. She ordered it, had it professionally done. But it's Buzz Lightyear, but instead of Buzz's cartoon head, it's my grandson standing there, right? Um, and, and so seeing yourself, imagining yourself, picturing yourself, right, um, overcoming, victorious, successful, um, absolutely thinking by faith. Um, and this is going to give you, this is going to take that from, from concept to, to practical application. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. See yourself doing it, right? Yeah, literally. See yourself doing it. I don't like freak y'all out, but I actually have a um, a key to unlock a casket in my office, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you never know when the Lord might tell me to go raise somebody from the dead, but you got to have a key to get them out of there. You, again, 
You got to view it before you can do it, right? You got to see it. You 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 got to see yourself doing it. You know. You know. So was that? Did I go too far with y'all? Amen. I, Sister what? who's to say you won't be there on that day? Amen. All right. So be anxious for nothing. Okay? But do what instead? In everything, everything, prayer and supplication. I said it early and often. Develop a pattern in your life of talking to the Lord about everything. About everything. Let me give you a classic example here. This is fresh off the press. I gotta stop. I gotta key stay folks here. But let me I was talking to the Lord about, you know, just health and nutrition and exercise and and lord just help me with this i mean i'm not proud about that but it's kind of area that i've struggled in in the over the years and 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 this is this is so so simple but again talk to him about everything because you never know when he's going to say something to you about a situation in your life that'll change your life forever this is what the lord told me ready man this was this is like one of the most off the wall things he's ever said to me but as i dug into it deeper i see how it not only was applicable to what I was talking about that day, but he was also um, showing me some things for uh, some writing that I'm doing right now. Are you ready? This is what the Lord told me. He said, you've been treating your body like a loner, <clears throat> like a rental car, a rental property, right? He said, I want you to start treating your body like a cowboy treats his horse. Because, see, I'm not my body. This is the body I live in. Are you hearing me? This ain't me. This isn't me. I live in this body. Okay? And when you treat it like a loner, he even, he even gave me, Donald, he even showed me this. He said, you've never seen a cowboy load a bucket full of Snicker bars and give it to his horse to eat. He said, you've never seen a cowboy give his horse a soft drink, a carbonated beverage to drink, right? Are you hearing me? So this has become so, again, practical application now, right? Every time I go to get a drink of water, I say, Father, I've got to water my horse. Hold on just a second. Right? I've got to water this horse, right? I'm, uh, now, that may sound so crazy to you, but this is what I'm telling you. Talk to the Lord about everything, everything. So I could be stressed out about, man, I'm gaining weight. My son's supposed to get married, blah, blah, you know, or I could talk to the Lord about it. I can do something about it. Are you following what I'm saying? Right? So not going to stress about everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That's important. You got to be thankful. Let your request be made known to God. And notice what else he says now. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We love to talk about the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, okay? Guarding our hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, all right? Remember, that ties in with Proverbs 4. Guard your heart with all diligence, for from your heart spring forth issues of life, okay? We love to talk about the peace of God that passes all understanding, but you realize that's, that is a consequence, a positive consequence of not letting your heart be troubled, not being anxious, but choosing instead to talk to the Lord about everything and being thankful for what you have and for what you know and making your request known to God. But now it doesn't end here. Verse 8, finally, brethren, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, 
whatever things are of a good report, whatever, uh, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, what is he telling us to do? He's saying meditate on these things. Again, setting your mind on these things, a deliberate, intentional act, right? So what we have here in Scripture, and I'll put the list up on, uh, normally I would do some teaching on each one of these, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to put the list up here, okay? Um, good report, virtue, and praiseworthy, all right? Again, all these are right there in the, in the Scriptures, all right? But the way I like to uh, teach this and, and help you to kind of visualize this is that these things are... We could go two ways. We could call it a filter through which we force our thoughts to pass, or if you want to just get real about it, we just call it a bouncer, okay? In other words, set a bouncer of truth at the doorway of your mind, and if the thought isn't true, we're not letting it in. Do you see what he's saying here? He's saying this, this if... if if the thought doesn't pass the truth test, then there's no need to even go any further down the list. Are you following what I'm saying? We got no business thinking about things that aren't true. Are you, are you, are you following? But then he talks about things that are noble. Noble w would be kind of like what we were talking about a moment ago. You know, this, just imagining ourselves doing these good things and picturing ourselves, right? Uh, just, pure, lovely. All right, let, let me give you an example on just. It's very easy for us to, to get caught up into thinking about injustices. You follow what I'm saying? It's not fair. I can't believe they did that to me. I can't believe they treated me that way. And there are people who can't get over it. I mean, don't say you can't. Say you won't. There are people who refuse to get over it, right? They just dwell on it and meditate on it and ruminate and, and stew in it over and over and over again, right? So he's giving us a list here. Um, and if, if the thought doesn't live up to the things on this list, then it, it's got no business being in your mind. We can say it this way. It didn't make the cut. All right? You still with me? Amen. Okay. Now, let's do this. Praise God. Because we are beings created in the likeness of God, we have the ability to. We've, set, we've talked about this one. Think, reason, form, opinions. I want you to see the list. Visualize the list. Number two, we have the ability to agree. We have the ability to believe. We have the ability to experience and express emotions. But do you see how as we progress through the list, we are building momentum? Okay, And I don't just mean building momentum in what we learn. I'm talking about as these things play out in our lives. Things that we think through, that we eventually come to an agreement concerning, that become beliefs in our hearts that now are influencing our thoughts, even becoming automatic thoughts in our minds, automatic responses, automatic emotional responses. Okay, now we've got the emotions that we're experiencing and, and even beginning to express uh, through all of this. And, and then comes, you know, the release of it all um, into our life realities. And that is our ability, number five, to speak. Okay. Our ability to speak, all right? Now, man, there is so much that we could cover here. Let me, um, let's go, let's just dig right into it. Let's go to Proverbs 18 and 20, okay? Now, I'm going to, I, I got I to gotta try to explain some things to you here for a moment, okay? 
And um, Sister mentioned a moment ago this, this word resistance. And um, of all the things that I've been blessed to have opportunity to teach um, to God's people over now, man, goodness. I, I mean, obviously not every week, but I, I mean, I preached, I started preaching when I was 12. And, um, you know, full time here at Heritage for 20 plus years. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just, I'm not just of all the years and of all the different congregations, all the different men and women, recovery programs, classes, other states, what have you. All right. This one subject is, has, I have met as much or more resistance from this one subject over anything I've ever tried to teach to, to, to God's people. Okay. And, and it's because it is, an area in your life that the devil never wants you to understand the power of because he wants to control and he wants to influence the words that come out of your mouth more than God, more than anything or anybody else, okay? And so we're going to say some really strong things and we're going to base every bit of it in the Word of God. But just I'm asking you as we go into this that you're going to have to keep an open heart, open mind because one of the things... And we mentioned dynamic and interactive while ago. Remember when we covered that extensively, we said that some of the hardest problems to solve are the ones that we think the underlying cause has nothing to do with the outlying effect. In other words, we've got this problem in our lives and we can't quite seem to figure out how to fix it, okay? And because it is an effect, there's got to be an underlying root cause, okay? But when somebody tries to say, listen, this, this is what's producing that in your life, and you go, there's no way. That has nothing to do with this. One seemingly has nothing to do with the other. And that's one of the big areas in people's lives because they, the devil has convinced them, nobody's ever explained it to them, that the words that come out of your mouth are so powerful that they literally chart the course that your life follows. You will never have a different life than what you have right now. Your life will never go in a different direction than it's headed in right now until you change, consistently change, what comes out of your mouth in the form of words. Now, this may sound so bizarre to you. Some people have accused me of sounding like some late-night infomercial where the guy's trying to sell you a box of CDs for three easy payments of $89.95 and all this other stuff. No, no, please. All of this is right here in the Word of God. Okay, and so let's start working our way through it. Proverbs 18, um, beginning at verse 20. It says, A man's stomach will be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. He goes on to say in verse 21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Okay? Anybody ever heard the expression, you're going to eat crow? Mm -hmm. Right? What is he talking about? He's talking about something that you said at some point in the past that has come back around now, and you're going to have to eat those words. Well, the reality of it is this. Everything that you are, quote, unquote, eating right now in your life, consuming right now in your life, I'm, I'm not just talking about food. I'm talking about things that you're experiencing in life. Remember, God's economy and, and, and one of his number one laws is whatever a man sows, that he'll also reap. 
And so you can sow corn and reap corn. You can sow friendship and reap friends, right? So when he says death and life is in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit, he's literally saying that whatever you're speaking today will be on a plate at some point in the future of your life existence for you to eat. Yes. Again, not a concept of God. So, so you're suggesting that one were to say Robert is a leader of men. You're saying that by him pro starting at proclaiming that, declaring that, that the, the events in his life are going to ultimately lead him and have him ending up being a leader of men. So when we get to spirit, soul, and body, this will be more abundantly clear, right? But when a man or a woman is born again, God creates what I call new birth realities inside of them. We become a new creation in Christ Jesus, right? And as we've been talking about on Wednesday night, and we'll talk about it more in the main service tonight, okay? Um, the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life is perhaps one of the best ways I know how to summarize what discipleship's really all about, okay? All right. So... I could say that I am uh, going to set the NFL rushing record next year, okay? It's because that's not who God made me to be, all right? But for me to say um, that because God's revealed it to me that I'm a writer, that I'm to write books, okay? And, um, and that's been an area of, of resistance in my life that thankfully with the Lord's help I am overcoming and have overcome and will continue to overcome with his help, okay? So in that case, for me to confess, that's a faith confession. To confess means to say the same as. So when we're confessing faith, and we're Brother Donald talked about thinking faith, thinking in faith, now we're speaking in faith, okay? We're saying about ourselves what God has already said about us. We're, we're saying of ourselves what God has already made us, Right? When, when the Bible says that um, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed, right? When you're born again, He makes you free. There are a lot of people who have been made free by God, who are free by God, who still live in bondage and addiction, okay? Um, so when we start to say with our mouths, confess the inward realities of the new birth, right? Now we're charting a course in agreement with our, with our true identity, okay? Oh, this makes sense because you okay. use the, the, the phrase... I think my, I've had anxiety because I don't want to declare something and then have that not ultimately manifest, right? But see, but that's the difference. You're, that's like something that is just me just saying it just because. But you're talking about things that God has already said and else just falling into agreement with that, right? So because God said it, it, it is a reality, right? There you go. Mm -hmm. It's an inward reality. It's real. Remember, uh, something can be real and you never know about it. Just because you don't know about it, don't make it, don't make it not real, right? Going to walk because they got the potential. Yeah. They got the potential, right? So we're, we're drawing that potential out. We're developing that potential. Okay. Here we are. Amen. 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 All right. So death and life. Not see. We just want. This is, this is kind of like, uh, let me come back. I'll use a financial maybe illustration to, to, to relate this, right? Um, I, in, in working with people over the years in, in the area of their personal finances, um, 
I've noticed, and I guess I probably experienced it in my own life as well, it's interesting how we want one good financial decision to somehow count more than a bad financial decision, right? So let's say somebody makes the, the right godly financial decision to pay their tithes, but they make the poor financial decision to go get a payday loan. Or you understand what I'm saying? And then they come back and they say, Pastor Mark, you, you lied to me. All this stuff, what the Bible's saying about God this and God prospering, God, he's, you know. but then when you get to the bottom of it, you find out that they're making poor decisions at a greater rate even than they're making good decisions, all right? Why do I bring that up? Not because I'm talking about money or finances tonight, but he says death and life's in the power of the tongue. See, we, we just want the good things that we say to make a difference. And somehow the death part, the death side of this, to, um, to not somehow uh, have any uh, impact, right? And, of course, it, uh, it absolutely doesn't uh, work that way. Now, oh, praise God. Um, we're not going to turn there, but Deuteronomy 30 and 19 is the verse where we see that God says, I've set before you life and death. I've set before you blessing and cursing, right? And obviously that, the context of that is, 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 you know, with the covenant law that came from Moses and that sort of thing. But still, when it comes to death and life and the power of your tongue, literally um, the power of the tongue means it hinges, it turns, um, death and life turn on the power of the words that you speak. Let, let, let's, let, let, I'm not trying to go too far down this road, but because some people think just roll their eyes at this. But, but why, why are so many people fixated on using the word death when they speak? Okay, my feet are killing me. Right, that pies to die for scared me to death. See, again, the devil's, just, the devil's just right there, just like, okay, yeah, just, just come on. And we go, wow, Pastor Mark, that all, I don't mean anything by that. I don't. See, death and life. Death and life. Angel. What? Okay. All right. Did you roll your eyes? He's embarrassing. Okay, all right. Let's do this. Let's go to Romans 10 and 5. i got to pick up some speed here. Praise God. We're going to trust the Lord. He's going to give us the right things to say. We, we could spend two or three weeks on this right here. But we don't. We, anyway. It says, For Moses writes about, Romans chapter 10, verse 5, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe, in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Amen. So one of the things that I've tried to point out, I'll leave those, uh, well, so many of them. One of the things I've tried to point out as we worked our way through this list of five, like for instance, how powerful is your ability to believe? All things are possible to him who believes. How powerful is your ability to agree? 
Well, now that the people are in agreement and operating as one, nothing that they desire shall be withheld from them. How powerful is your ability to think and reason and form opinions? As you think in your heart, so are you. Okay. So when we come to the culmination of all of this, notice now the ability to believe, the ability to think, the ability uh, now to agree, and now released in the ability to speak. This is how a man or woman is born again, Right? Do you see this? You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, and this is how you are transformed from death to life. This is how you become a new creation in Christ Jesus. This is how you receive salvation, right? How? Again, I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not trying to belabor this. I'm just trying to show you. How did you receive salvation? How did you get saved? You got saved by believing in your heart and speaking with your mouth. Believing in your heart, speaking with your mouth. Now, Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says this, it says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So this begs the question, how did we receive Christ Jesus the Lord? Because however you received Him is how you continue to walk and live together with Him. You received Him by believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. Everything else that he has for you to enjoy and experience in life, guess how you receive it? Believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth. All right? Now, let's go to Mark 11, okay? Mark chapter 11, verses 20 through 24, okay? Man, I feel compelled like we need to go back to the passage in Romans for a moment. Let me just, without getting it back up on the screen... Thank you, Lord. Amen. I just need to settle down, y'all. We just take our time. Is that all right? Okay. It's crazy that folks that know all this stuff, they'll tell you through positive affirmation. And, you know, even secular things, like they'll tell you positive self-talk. Well, it's because the reality of it is the original 12 steps were taken from Scripture. And they were secularized, secularized, and the God of our choosing and all sort of stuff. But originally, those men were believers and, and the, the principles were taken from Scripture. Anything, listen to me, in, in, anything in mental health, like for instance, um, you know, this guy, he probably made millions if not hundreds of millions of dollars off the concept of cognitive behavioral therapy, wrote books about it. It's one of the most successful uh, therapeutic uh, modalities in existence today. He so ripped it off from God, right? What is cognitive behavioral therapy? Uh, your thoughts determine your behavior. You'll never change your behavior unless you change the way you think. So rather than trying to modify the behavior, let's focus on the underlying thinking and the, and the errant behavior will take care of itself. It's the Bible, right? Any answer the world has come up with that works, you can find it in, in the Scriptures. It's, it's, it's just that simple. So let's go back to Romans 10, all right? For um, notice he's saying here, before he tells us, what faith says, it's the word of faith which we speak, he tells us what it does not say. And he says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above. And then verse 7, who will descend into the abyss, that is to, to bring Christ up from the dead. So what is he saying here? These are people who speak and act and think and believe as if Jesus, right, has got to leave heaven to come down here and fix it for us. I got a problem, and the only way it's going to be fixed is if Jesus comes down here and fixes it for me. He said, that's not the word of faith that we preach. That's not how any of this works, okay? Nor do what? He already did that. He already did that. Thank you. 
Nor does it say, and there are those who who's like, well, Jesus, you know, he was a good man. He did a lot while he was here, but he's dead now, you know. And, and if it's ever going to be any better, he's got to come back. Well, we know he's raised from the dead. We know he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And so when we talk about operating in, in faith and, and the word of faith, which is speaking and confessing things out of your mouth, this is how we uh, operate and, um, and function, praise God, in the life that God created us to live. Okay, so Mark chapter 11. Let me read the verse and I'll give you some background. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, don't try this at home, boys. Is that what he said? No, he said, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Now, let me come back uh, on uh, screen here for a minute. The day before, they were entering in um, and to the city, and they passed this fig tree. And Jesus went to the fig tree to see if perhaps it had figs on it early. I've heard some people say, uh, you know, there were before the figs, there are nodules that you can eat, and Jesus was hungry. And I, listen, there's all kinds of, you know, multi-layered wisdom in the Word of God and things that the Holy Spirit will draw out of, of things that maybe we've never thought of before. And I have no problem with people doing that. But before we do all of that, let's not miss the obvious lesson that Jesus was trying to teach his disciples and was trying to teach you and me. Okay? And this, this lesson is an object lesson on the use of faith. This is a faith lesson. I've preached a series of sermons from this passage called The Greatest Faith Lesson Ever Taught. This is the greatest lesson on faith that was ever taught, okay? It's because, number one, it's Jesus teaching it, but he's not just teaching it. It's a word that my buddy's been speaking into my, into my life this week, Brother Donald. He's demonstrating. He's demonstrating faith. He's not setting them down and telling them about it. He is showing it to them. Right? So he says to the fig tree, notice now he says to the fig tree, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. All right? So he just took away that 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 tree's reason for purpose that that tree's purpose for existing. And when he did that, right, and spoke that, um, we see that overnight it withered up from the roots and died. But here's the thing: when Jesus first said it, it looked as healthy as it did the moment after he said it as he did the moment before he said it, okay? But Jesus just released his faith when he spoke those words. So now they're coming back by the next day and it has withered up from the roots. And they're astonished by it. They're, they're just, the disciples are like, dude, look at this, right? They were all surprised about it. <clears throat> but let me tell you who was not surprised about it. Jesus was not surprised by this at all, okay? He did it on purpose, he wanted them. He didn't say, guys, where do you see that tree? Remember that tree yesterday? You're not going to believe it. I mean, you're going to be so amazed. No, no, right? He wanted them to spot it and wow, the shock and awe of it, right? And so notice his first words out of his mouth were, have faith in God. So if you want to know what this is all about, it's about teaching them and us how to have faith in God, how to operate in faith. Now, Verse 23 begins with, for assuredly. Let me put it up on the screen, all right? For assuredly. You see that? For assuredly. What does that mean? Anytime you see for assuredly in the King James Version, verily, verily. It means Jesus is about to say something that is going to seem so impossible that there's no way it can be true, but it's absolutely true. 
It's almost as if Jesus is saying, okay, now boys, brace yourself because I'm about to tell you something that could potentially blow your socks off, all right? But it's going to seem so far-fetched that there's no way that it could be true, but it's true. I'm telling you it's true. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Okay? Now, now, notice what he's saying here, right? They're so amazed that Jesus spoke to a fig tree and it withered and died overnight. Now, Jesus is saying, for, for most assuredly, I say to you, whoever. What is it? Before we get into the, just the amazement of this, and, 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 the, and the implications for us, okay? Let's, let's not lose sight of what Jesus just said. He said everybody, right? Everybody. This isn't just for Jesus. It wasn't like Jesus was like up there going, yeah, guys, I mean, it's, you ain't seen nothing yet. What do you see what I'm going to do tomorrow? No. He did this to catch their attention and in the moment of their amazement, emphasize that this is something that any human being can do. Okay? Whoever. Now, notice, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through this verse 23 again, and I'm going to be obnoxious, but I want to try to add some emphasis, emphasis for, to make the point, okay? For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to the mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. You say, what do you think Jesus is trying to emphasize here? He's trying to emphasize saying it, right? You've got to say it. You've got to speak it. You've you got to let it out. See, faith, faith is a spiritual substance. It is a spiritual force that resides in you. You've been given. We talked about this, right? Romans 12 and 3. You've been dealt the measure of faith. Amen. Okay, so you have faith. How do you release that faith? You release that faith. First of all, faith by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It, it, it's aroused, awakened in your, in your heart, in your mind. And then you begin to meditate on and mutter to yourself what the promises of God and what God has to say about these things, not allowing the enemy to contaminate uh, your faith with, with doubts and wrong thoughts and, and unbelief. And now that faith is growing inside of you. It's, it's getting stronger inside of you. And then there comes a day when you release it. And you release faith, and faith changes the situation. When the woman with the issue of blood had been sick for many years, she crawls through the crowd. There were all kinds of people. The Bible says people were thronging Jesus. It was like the Beatles. It was like a rock star or an athlete or something. People just crowding around Jesus. And the Bible says that they were touching him to see if that by some chance touching him might do something for them. None of those people were healed. But we've got this one woman who crawls through the crowd and she grabs the hem of his garment and shuts the whole thing down. Jesus said, somebody just touched me. And they're like, Jesus, there's probably been 500 people touched you the last 10 minutes. No, somebody just touched me because I sensed virtue, the healing power of God. Leave his body and flow into somebody that just got healed. Well, this woman was going to sneak in there. She was going to pickpocket some healing from Jesus. And she was going to go right on back to her room. And Jesus turns around 
And he, and he calls her out, right? But now don't miss what he said to her. After the whole thing was sorted out, Jesus says this to her. He says, woman, your faith made you whole. Her faith. See, faith is how you connect with the healing virtue of God. We have no record that Jesus was going to this woman's house to heal her. As a matter of fact, based upon what I understand about these things, if she had not come out of her house, first of all, before she even went and touched him, the Bible says she had said within herself continuously, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. If I but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole, right? I believe she got that from other things she had heard about him, and I believe she got it from the book of Malachi when the Bible says that when the Messiah comes, he will have healing in his wings. The wings of the garment, right, was the tassels around the, the fringe of the garment. And so she believed he was the Messiah. She believed he had healing in his wings, and she believed that if she touched that garment, she would be healed. This is why all those other people were touching him to see if something might happen. That's not faith. And what did they receive? Nothing. But notice what she said in her heart, what she said, what she muttered to herself continuously. She said it. She said it. She kept saying it. She kept saying it until it becomes so real in her, so alive in her, that she was willing to literally risk her life because it was illegal for her as a woman who was bleeding to be in public, right? But also the throng, she could have been trampled to death, crawling on the ground trying to get to him. Right? But I love to say it. She would not be denied. Her faith would not be denied. But Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't seek her out and lay a hand on her to heal her. Her faith made a connection that brought healing. It, 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 just like if you plug something into an electrical outlet or whatever. Her faith made that connection and healing flowed from Jesus into her. And he didn't say, all right, woman, you know, go your way. I healed you. You got what you came for. No, he pointed it out, not just for her benefit, but for mine and for yours, right? Your faith has made you whole. All right, now, so he's emphasizing what we say. Then he culminates this whole teaching in verse 24. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them. I could show you translation after translation after translation after translation. How we're to understand this is whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you have already received them and you will have them. Believe that you've already received them. If you wait until you see the thing manifest in your life to believe you've received it, you'll never receive it by faith. The only way to receive by faith is to believe you've already received it before there's any physical evidence or proof in your life that you've received it. In the case of salvation, you do receive that right away. Okay. Um, but what we're talking about, because salvation will perhaps be the only, and I don't mean to, about the, about the only illustration we could use that would not be accurate, because the instant that we, the instant that we pray and re we receive salvation, okay? But when we receive salvation, we receive the kingdom. When we receive salvation, we receive healing. When we receive salvation, we receive uh, prosperity. All these things that come with that, right? So what does faith do? Faith receives what grace has already given. So at the point of salvation, we were healed. Now, faith is how we appropriate 
the healing for our physical bodies that we've already been given. Does that, does that make sense? Okay, all right. So, um, yes. Oh, is that just a hallelujah? Thank you, Jesus. Do you, uh, do you, um, do you still, do you have, do you get anxiety when you're declaring something? Uh, or is that, is that a sign of probably someone immature in their faith? Uh, I mean, do you today, if you, is you if, like, if you proclaim truth over your life for somebody today, I mean, are you able to say it today, like, just with, without any kind of anxious sensations or anything? Uh, like anxious sensations that I'm saying it and it ain't like, going like, to happen? You know, like, okay, like, you know, like, you, know, like, you, you, you told me to declare this. Yeah. And I would not do it. And, you know, and, and. I don't know, man. I, I really want to be in a place where I can say things. Like, I can say whatever and, and, and not feel, uh, I don't know. I'm sorry. I mean, There's no need to apologize, brother. Let, let, let's, let's see if we can say it this way, okay? Um, once you hear from the Lord, and that's, you can't leave that part out, okay? But once you hear from the Lord, either through his rhema word, rhema is when the word of God is spoken by the anointing to you, okay? Um, or the Lord just speaks something to your heart about a situation or whatever. Once you hear from Him, okay, then your responsibility is to believe it and to confess it, but not to bring it to pass. You see what I'm saying? I... I, I it's not my responsibility to bring it to pass. It's my responsibility to believe it. My work is to believe him <coughs> on him whom God has sent. Okay? That's, my, that's the effort that I have to put into this. My work is to keep any thought of doubt and unbelief and lies from the enemy out of my mind. Remember when Abraham was, took the stick and beat the vultures off the sacrifice? Okay? So you got this precious thing incubating inside of you where your faith has latched onto something God has said and you're nurturing it and confessing it and watering it with the word and meditating on it and keeping the, 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 the foul, uh, you know, the, the birds of doubt and prey from trying to pick at it and all, and all these other things. That's work. People don't understand that. That's, that's effort. You're fighting the good fight of faith, okay? But, it's, but God is the one who gives the increase. He's the one... Who, who brings it to pass, right? So it's not like, i got to say this enough times to make it happen. No, that woman could have said a zillion times that. It was the healing virtue of Jesus that healed her, but it was her faith that made the connection, right? Okay. So when it comes to things like, um, and, and if I talk too much about myself, but I'm just trying to give y'all illustrations that you can relate to your own life, Okay. So there are things that I have known about myself for many, many years, okay? Um, but whatever, like for instance, I knew that this was not standing right here exactly doing this, but preaching and teaching God's Word to His people, um, I knew I was going to do that, I don't know, five, six years old? I don't know, how, I mean, I don't... I just knew, right? And as you've heard me say, one of the ways I kind of was sure about it was because I didn't want to do it. But, you know, it was just kind of... But then it comes to this whole writing thing, 
Okay? And, um, man, I just, you know, trying to get emotional about it, but, you know, you just realize how much insecurity the devil is trying to use against your life. Because that's what it comes down to. Insecurity is just a designer word for fear, right? It's fear. It's fear of failure. It's fear of lack. It's fear that I'll write a book and people think it's, it, nobody will read it. It's the, the, you know, and I even tried these crazy mind tricks. You know, I told the Lord, so I don't care if nobody reads this but you. I'm writing it for you. <laughs> well, that's not, that's just, no, that ain't what, that's not why you write a book, right? And I, and I know it sounds so odd, but, but I, I, maybe I've said this already, you guys, but I'll say it again. You know, and it really was a, a switch that went off inside of me. When Seth Godin said this in one of his books, he said, you got to write and keep writing, write until you're no longer afraid to write. And it's like the Lord just said, he's talking to you. I'm talking to you through him. Quit being afraid to do what I put you on this earth to do. And, and of course, as I've shared with you before, the Lord told me I could live my whole life and never written a book and live my whole life as an author because it, he made me an author. I'm not, I'm, see, I saw myself as somebody who was trying to write books to become an author. I thought, you know, and so I wrote one. And I, I, did, I didn't feel any more like an author after I wrote one than before I had published one. And I thought, well, that didn't work, you know. It's because, again, it has nothing to do with how much money you have in the bank, whether you're rich or not. You don't see if you wait till you got a lot of money in the bank to believe you're rich, you'll never be made rich by God. That ain't how that works. You believe you're rich no matter what the bank account says. You believe you're healed no matter what how your hip feels. And and so if he tells you you're something, you agree with him and you agree with him quickly. And and another Seth Godin uh, says that show up, sit down, and type already. Just go do it. Go do the work. Right? And so, but confessing, saying the same as God says. See, now, this goes back to what Donald was saying a while ago. To, to see yourself as a writer, I could pull it up. I, I would have to re-log back into my notes and all this other stuff. But there's a whole long list of things that I say. I don't, I don't mind telling you that I call myself not only an author, that I'm a best-selling author. That I've write, I, I have written many books, that I will write many books, and they will be read by millions. And no matter how many books I write, people will look for the next book that I write, and they want to. It's all these things that I confess. And I'm, again, I can't believe I'm doing this in front of people, much less over the internet, but I'm just telling you, right? That's, I, I'm, not, I'm not bragging. Don't miss This isn't arrogance. This is, this is, if I want to succeed at writing books, I've got to do it by faith, or I'm, or I'm going to fail. And I could write a thousand books, and if I write them without the Lord, it doesn't mean a thing to Him. Amen. He wants to write them with me. Yes. Come on, he wants to write them with me. And, and so even like, I want, you to, I want you to treat your body like a, like a cowboy treats his horse. That's coming soon to a book near you. Okay? It's that, I did some of that writing this afternoon. Right? And maybe that's why it's fresh on my mind, and I brought it up during this class. Okay? But see, if... The devil is not uh, insecure about telling you you're not whatever it is that God says you are. The devil's not bashful about telling you that nobody wants to read what you write or that you're not a leader of men, that you'll never amount to anything. Remember Gideon? Gideon says, you talking to me? Have you lost your mind? Well, I'm the least in my father's house and my father's house is the, is the least in my father's clan and my father's clan is the least in the country and we're just a bunch of nobodies looking for nothing to do. And, and, the, and the angel of the Lord looks at him and calls him a mighty man of valor. It's like, I don't know who you're talking about, dude. 
That ain't who that ain't who God says you are. But at some point, again, discipleship is about reconciliation, reconciliation, bringing your thoughts into alignment with God's thoughts, saying about yourself what God says about you. Because the devil's going to feed you all. See, this is how the devil's lies work. Okay, he, he tells all of us that we're not as good as everybody else. He tells every human being that's ever lived on this planet that's listened to him for two seconds that people don't understand you. They're, you're not like them. You're not as good as them. They don't like you. But see, when we're really young, back to that childhood faith, childlike faith, when we're really young, we fight that off. We resist it. Yeah, well, I'll show them right now. You know? I made the mistake of telling my grandson that um, there were some smaller kids, kids that were his age and younger, that were um, abusive towards Colonel when he was a little puppy. Why did I do that? Because what it is, is, is and you know, we speak the word over the, the dog and that stuff, but a leash, he has to have one of those harness because the, 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 um, these kids swung him like this and it, and it did things to us so when we got the dog they said look you, you're gonna have to give him medicine before he rides in your car I'm like I'm not giving this dog medicine you know this dog he, he's gonna be fine oh you don't understand I said do respect me I'm trying to be polite it's like no ma'am you don't understand okay this dog if he's mine now he's under my roof he's under my covenant and we're not giving him medicine to ride in the car and he goes everywhere with us right okay but he would get stressed out and he would start because <laughs> he couldn't breathe because his trachea had been injured, right? So we put him in a harness so it don't pull on his throat when he has to be on a lead, all right? So, so we were kind of I was trying to, that was the context of me trying to explain this to Oliver. When Oliver heard that somebody had been mean to his beloved colonel, he's like, where are those boys right now? I will go and fight them. Literally, he said, I'll go fight them. I'm like, oh, no, 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 just, it's, it's okay, buddy. They, they, they were young, and their mom and dad, no, he's like, he says, what color heads do they have? I'm like, he wanted to pick them out of a crowd, I guess. I don't, I'm like, no, no, just settle down, baby. I'm not trying. So, but see, as kids, you know, it's like, oh, really? You know, uh, but see, now watch what happens. The devil tells you you're not as good as everybody else, and, and we reject that until we're the last one picked for the kickball teams. Because kickball's not your thing. And so the devil gets on your shoulder and he says, I told you. Yeah. And you're like, man, just, no, right, yes. So, and then some kids make fun of your hair or the way you're dressed or whatever, you know. And the devil goes, I told you. Right? And then you get up enough courage to send that note over to that girl you've got an eye on by one of her friends. Will you go with me? I know it changes through the generations, but that's what it was in my generation. Circle one, yes or no, right? And you're kind of watching as she goes and takes it over to that, to that young lady, and they look at it, and they both look at each other and, and snicker and laugh and tear it up, right? And the devil goes, I told you. So what is he doing? He lied to you when you were little. You were like, no, man. I'm, I'm Superman. Are you kidding me? I can do anything. I, I, can, I can be anybody. I, blah, 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 right. But see, now notice he tells you that lie. You don't believe it. But then he starts pointing to all these life experiences to try and reinforce the lie, to try and make you believe the lie. So I'm going to say it again. The devil is, is not bashful about telling you you can't and feeding that garbage into your mind. And... Even more so, we've got to rise up on the Word of God 
and proclaim and declare the truth. So, amen. amen. So therefore I say to you, what things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Amen. We are just about out of time. Let's go to Matthew 17, because this is Matthew's account of this, just in case you think it's way, way out there. Notice, notice how it was recorded by the Holy Spirit through Matthew. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? Now, do you remember what's happened here? A, a, a dad has brought his little boy to the disciples for them to cast the demon out. Jesus is up on the mountain of transfiguration, having his real inward self um, uh, radiate through his outward self, okay, in front of Peter, James, and John. And when they come back, there's this big uh, brouhaha going on because this man brought the boy and the other nine disciples prayed for him and there was no results yet, okay? And so there's a big debate going on and Jesus walks up and he asks what's going on and and Jesus gets to the bottom of it and Jesus uh, you know, sets the little boy free and the miracle happens. And then later the disciples came to Jesus in private. And this is how, listen to me, this is how you want to operate. When you pray and believe and it doesn't seem to be working or turning out the way you prayed and believed, be mature enough to say to Jesus, you know what, I'm, I'm not quite a faith ninja yet. Why did this not go the way that I thought it would go? Help me. See, it, it can either be a, a point of greater doubt and unbelief. It can be a point of, I've seen people even get mad at God, right? Or you can let him teach you. And so that's what they're doing here. Jesus says, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. <laughs> I mean, don't ask him if you don't want to know, right? Because of your unbelief. For assuredly, here he goes again, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Okay? So let me... The, the thought of this statement did not originate with me, but um, I've kind of modified it and adapted it and made it my own. Um, Maybe you've heard different versions of this, all right? But I'll leave you with this thought and we'll pray, okay? Growth is when you stop telling God what your problem said and start telling your problem what God said. Okay, That's growth. Growth in faith, growth in your walk with the Lord, maturing, developing, all the above, right? See, we, 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 you know, we have a problem. That problem starts asking us questions. How are you going to pay me? What are you going to do about me? How are you going to get past this? What are you going to do when this happens? What, you, know, you don't have enough money to do this, and you've got three more of those that's got to be paid for, blah, blah. So, all the, so what a lot of people do when they pray is they just repeat to God the questions that their problem is asking them. And that's not what Jesus taught us to do, is it? When it comes to obstacles and things um, that you know, are blocking us, preventing us, holding us back. Issues, problems, what have you. Stop telling God what the problem is saying to you and start saying to the problem what God said about it. Okay? Amen. So if, if we've talked about healing a little bit uh, this evening, okay? So if there's something in your life, 
some physical issue or problem in your life, um, start speaking to it. Okay? Um, j- j- remember we talked about uh, calling things that be not as though they were. Whatever you bind in heaven, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Are you losing heaven? Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I'm trying to rush this because we're getting close to making a transition here to the evening service. So say to the problem what God... In other words, now listen to me. If, you ha- if you've never done this, it, it, it's going to be a little bit awkward at first. And you may feel a little insecure about it. But I recommend you, you put a little thought into what you're going to say. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? In other words, get, it'd, be like, you know, it'd be like if you're going to your boss to ask for a raise. More than likely you rehearse the speech a time or two in your mind before you actually get in front of your, your boss. And, and I, you follow what I'm saying? Anybody ever done that? Yeah? Okay. Um, so maybe you want to kind of get some thoughts together, maybe a couple of Bible verses, whatever, in your situation. And start. And I'm talking about just, because what is the Word of God? It's a sword. It's a light. It's a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Amen. And when it's spoken by faith, it's just as powerful coming out of your mouth as it is coming out of the mouth of the one who originally said it, God himself. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the things that you're showing us, revealing to us. Father, I thank you for uh, taking what your words caused the foolishness of preaching, Lord, and uh, using what's been said and what's been brought forth tonight, however disjointed it may have been, and using it for your glory and using it to reveal truth um, to my brothers and sisters. Um, Lord, all of this is important, but I pray that it be more than a novelty to us. I pray that it be more than a, uh, a shoulda, coulda, woulda, Father, but that it, that it would be um, something that we practice, and if we're already practicing it, that we would practice it more, and that we would um, realize the importance of, of speaking to the issues and problems in our lives, saying to those problems what you've already said about them, And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. You'll be blessed. And I'll see some of you in a few minutes, some of you uh, beforehand, the rest of you on Sunday.